Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the one and only Maya Culpa podcast, now on the Mighty Midas Touch Network. So look for the blue banner to find all future episodes of our show. And you know, we're glad that you found us. So now, let's get to the news. The Republicans who have hogtied the House of Representatives and rendered it inoperable, well, they showed up to make trouble at the southern border of Texas on Wednesday. And you ask yourself, why? Well, aside from having nothing better to do, they are grandstanding. Yes, we already know that they hate immigrants and that they blame Mexico for the fentanyl crisis here in America. But what they are really doing is preparing the groundwork to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on the grounds that he has failed to enforce the Secure Fence Act, which states and defined as the operational control of the border as a status in which not a single person or piece of contraband improperly enters the country. Now, no one has ever met that criteria, and no one ever will, because it's impossible. But Republicans don't care. They want a public hanging and won't let facts get in the way. Why? Well, because fear is the Republican brand. Fear of the other. Fear that our blood is being tainted and yada, yada, yada. Everything that's xenophobic. And with the help of the right-wing media, and yeah, I'm looking at you, Fox, they use these xenophobic propaganda messages to try and to terrify us. And illegal immigration is a problem that seems to somehow, and for what reason, scare the living shit out of most Americans. Fix it, and the only benefit to voting Republican is the tax cuts for the rich. And the Supreme Court has already deregulated all of the environmental standards that they claim to hate. So what's left? Yeah, immigration. And if Republicans actually cared about border security, what would they do? They would work with Congress to pass the comprehensive immigration reform bill that President Biden proposed on the first day that he took office. I mean, did you hear that? Biden has tried to fix immigration since day one. But Republicans' answer to the problem is to impeach Mayorkas, which will do what? Solve absolutely nothing but it's red meat for the base, and that's exactly what they want. Now, last year, MAGA House Republicans proposed a budget that would eliminate funding for 2,000 Customs and Border Protection agents. So don't lie to us now and say that you're trying to fix anything, because you fucking don't. And after over 30 years of inaction, House Speaker MAGA Mike Johnson insists that United States borders must be fixed before the United States meets its security commitments to either Ukraine and Israel. In part, because Johnson is Putin's fucking puppet. But it's also because he loves hashtagging the supposed Biden border crisis and falsely claiming that Democrats won't open borders. No, we don't. 
and we need to demand that MAGA Mike and the gang actually work with us to fix the problem and stop demonizing immigrants. Rapidly declining birth rates in the United States coupled with accelerating retirements, it's a recipe for a labor crisis disaster that can be at least partially resolved by increasing our use of immigrant workers. So last month, there were 8.7 million job openings, with the largest number of non-professional vacancies in transportation, healthcare, and food services, all positions that could easily be filled by migrants desperate to work. Look, Republicans' decades-long refusal to act has only served to exacerbate supply chain issues, to hurt struggling farmers, and increase inflation and production gaps. So don't let them get away with blaming the Biden administration for the chaos that they have created. And MAGA Mike speaking to Jake Tapper from the border on Wednesday, I mean, that was the most fucking pathetic sight to behold. First, the fact that CNN would give these charlatans airtime bespeaks of just how far CNN has fallen. But also because there was no pushback when Johnson claimed that the Biden administration has been doing nothing to resolve the issue. When in fact Republicans have systematically refused to fund a national security supplemental bill put forth by the Biden administration that includes $14 billion in border security. That's $14 billion in border security. But nah, nah, they don't fucking want it. Mayorkas said during an appearance on CNN early in the day that the border security funding is needed now. And warning that, and I quote, We will not have the resources to perform our jobs. We need additional personnel. We need technology to advance our fight against fentanyl. And we need additional asylum officers to accelerate the asylum adjudication process. I mean, sounds logical, right? And yes, most of us agree that the immigration process takes too long and that the problem was only exacerbated when Trump threatened to send back DACA kids and separated families at the border. But overwhelmingly, voters on both sides support a pathway to citizenship for people who have been here for years. And late Wednesday, when reporters finally caught up with the president for his response, he seemed exasperated but clear, and I quote, We gotta do something. They ought to give me the money I need to protect the border. Now, I don't mean to get on a soapbox about this, but the hypocrisy of the Republicans lying to you about the border, it cannot be ignored. And President Biden is right. Give him what he needs to get the job done. And now for the main event. My guest today is historian and cultural critic Ruth Ben-Ghiat. She is the author of the acclaimed book, Strongmen, From Mussolini to the Present, and the focus of her work has been on authoritarianism, propaganda, and how to protect democracy. Benguet is a professor of history and Italian studies at NYU, and as a regular contributor on CNN, The Washington Post, and MSNBC. 
So check out her newsletter entitled Lucid, where she reports on the threats to democracy around the world. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so welcome to the show, Ruth. It's great to have you here, particularly as we head into the election year. Your book, Strongmen, Mussolini to the Present, is essential reading now. So I've heard you say that Trump is a master propagandist and authoritarian leader. What, in your opinion, are the traits that make up a successful, you know, or I should say a successful strongman? Yeah, thank you, uh, Michael. I'm so glad to be speaking with you about this. Um, I wish my book were irrelevant, but sadly, um, it is not. And I had to put up a bit of a struggle to to include uh, Trump in the book. And of course, I'm, I'm very glad I did. So, you know, uh, Trump kind of ticks all the boxes in terms of the type of uh, personality uh, he is, um, you know, compulsive liar, uses everyone, use and discard philosophy about people, um, obsessed with having power, and, you know, uh, obsessed with his own victimhood. Um, and the whole, it, it's, you know, since 2016, I've been trying to get Americans to shift their frame of reference, uh, because they didn't, they didn't have the, you know, the kind of framework to see people, somebody like Trump for what he was. And so the idea that, you know, most politicians who are, uh, have legal troubles wouldn't want to run for office because you're under the scrutiny, but strong men, they, they're compelled to run for office because they need to get into power or back into power to make their legal troubles go away. <laughs> and so it's, you know, and it's not just Trump, it's, you know, Putin, Berlusconi, Netanyahu, all kinds of people have done this. And so it's a kind of a playbook. And, and so I've tried to uh, point out that Trump is not unique, but, and, but it can happen anywhere to any country. Uh, and so Americans have to understand that they're not immune and they can't just ignore this because it's not going away. Well, it is unique in the United States. I mean, we have not seen the likes of Donald Trump. You know, something our forefathers were, of course, always concerned of is that there would be an individual who would become president that wants to be more than just the president of the United States, wants to be the dictator, a monarch, a furious supreme leader, um, you know, and that's exactly what Donald wants. And it's, um, it's a very scary thing for America, and yet... He still has this incredible stronghold over a significant portion of this country. Now, I don't agree with a lot of the pundits where they're like, you know, he's got 50% of the country. First of all, the Republican Party is not 50% of the country. If yeah. you want to be really basic, one third of the country is Republican. One third of the country is Democrat and one third of the country are independents. Democrats are not going to vote for him. There is already a significant portion of Republicans, especially the young, that will not vote for him. And now you have to worry about the independents. That's where I really see us standing right now. I'm glad you say that because 
you know, authoritarians do their best to make people think that um, their victory is inevitable, that their triumph, even whether they're in office or trying to get back to office, that everything they do is going to succeed. And they, they, they use their tools of intimidation and threat to make, to silence people. Um, and that way you don't hear the voices of those who say, no, this is not inevitable. Uh, they are a minority. Um, and so he's, he's trying to do that. Uh, and the news coverage has sometimes not helped because it's not pointing out that they, they are a minority that, um, and, and focusing more on all the independents who can be swayed and how we can sway those people how we can message those people. Because um, the more people think that it's inevitable that in this case, Trump will win, um, people thought it was inevitable he'd win in 2020, and, and, he, and he didn't. Um, the more that they might give up and uh, be disaffected from politics and turn off. And that's what, that's what they want. And that's what democracy depends on them not doing. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this then. What, in your opinion would happen to the country if Trump were actually to get back into the White House. Do you think that average Americans understand what a Trump dictatorship would mean or look like to the nation? It's really, it's a good question because, you know, one of the reasons I didn't use the word fascist uh, for a very long time, and I still don't use it very often, uh, about Trump is that I felt that people were not prepared to understand what that might mean today. When we see fascists, we think of Adolf Hitler, and yes, now he's talking like Adolf Hitler, but we, or we think of you know, military coups and tanks on the street and all that, and that's often not how it works today, right? Today, they get uh, kind of, so even Putin, he got his power over time. And so um, it can be hard today where you keep elections going and you have the semblance of democracy, but as in Hungary or Turkey, it or doesn't Russia. really, the, the, or Russia, the leader gets, things are arranged and weighted so that the leader prevails. And it can be hard to know what the tipping point is. So Americans are not, uh, they, they're not, they're not prepared to understand what would happen or um, they, they're going to think that it's not going to be uh, of interest to them. And this is something that I'm going to be stressing uh, during the year 2024, because the Trump campaign is being very open about what they're going to do and who they're going to do it to. And it's a lot of people, right? you know, judges, prosecutors, uh, people who write about authoritarian now. I was told by Trump spokesperson Stephen Chung that you know, my, my existence will be, quote, crushed. For, for calling him out on his, you know, fascist rhetoric. It's too bad you don't have that on a recording because that would be that would be fantastic and it would go viral. Well, it's in the Washington Post. He 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 said it to the Washington Post. He said, uh, you know, those who make assertions and he was asked about my comments will find their entire existence crushed when Trump returns to the White House. So, but and this is what an example of how they try to get people to shut up out of fear. I'm not going to be uh, shutting up at all, quite the contrary. But, um, you know, I think that like they've been very open about wanting to deport 
you know, uh, millions of immigrants or put them in camps and very disturbing. Trump's talking about psychiatric hospitals. He said Jack Smith should be in a, quote, mental institution. So the average American can think, well, I'm not in those categories. I'm not an immigrant. So it's not going to, you know, nothing's going to happen to me. And that's incorrect <laughs> because they may start with one category, but sooner or later uh, they come for other people. And for example, in fascist Italy, the Italian Jews uh, thought, well, Mussolini is not like Hitler. He hasn't come for us. So he's never going to come for us. So we can be fascists. And many Jews were fascists. And then inevitably he did come for them. And the Holocaust happened. Yeah, and, what about, and what about the German Jews during the same period? Exactly. I'm not, I'm not Jewish. I'm, I'm, I'm German, right? And how exactly. many books have been written by people, yeah, <laughs> some of whom were, what, 25%? Jewish, and it was yeah. still pursuant to Hitler's chart, you are then, if you're a quarter yeah. Jewish, you're Jewish, and off to the camps you go. Yeah, and so I think one of the lessons from doing uh, a global book like Strongman, because it starts with Mussolini and Hitler, it ends with Trump and Putin, is you see these patterns in history. And one of them is that people can be in denial. Um, they really are very invested in thinking, that it, nothing's going to happen to them. Because also, if you realize that, you know, your democracy is at stake and you might be a target, it, it might mean you have to change your life a little bit and do something about it. And a lot of people don't want to do that. They prefer, maybe they're not political and they want to, they want to keep it that way. But that's not the moment. I, look, I, I, don't, I don't blame them. I don't blame them. Yeah. You may have seen uh, the other day, uh, and there's a, many articles are written about it, but one in particular, you know, came out from the Daily Beast. Uh, the article was written by uh, Jose Paglieri, and it's entitled, Trump just officially got away with jailing Michael Cohen in 2020. I don't know if you saw that, and that was based upon the decision that came from the three panel judges at the Second Circuit um, here in New York in regard to my lawsuit against uh, Trump, the United States government, Bill Barr, for an unconstitutional remand. An unconstitutional remand back to prison because I refused to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. So I constantly tell people all the time, wake the fuck up. Clear your eyes with whatever's in it. Open up. If that means going to the ENT doctor and getting your ears flushed so that you can hear exactly what Donald... Don't take Michael Cohen's word for it. I say this all the time. Don't take Ruth Ben-Ghiat's uh, you know, word for it. Don't take any of the pundits or uh, journalists' word for it. Listen to what Donald is telling you that he That's is going that. to do. On day number one... We've already heard he's got a bunch of things he's planning on doing, including rewriting the Constitution. That, sh that in and of itself should disqualify him. And I don't mean disqualify him like the way Maine or Colorado are disqualifying him from the ballot. I'm talking about by American citizens. Yeah. Rest assured, what they just, what the Second Circuit just gave Donald Trump is the ability to jail you, Ruth, if in fact he comes back into power. That they will have people come to your door, like the way Stalin did it. They yeah. will knock the door down, unless you come out willingly. They will beg you, tag you, put you into a truck, 
And what Donald said he's going to do, he's going to send everybody off to Gitmo. I know it's the one prison that he knows. So he sends you to Alcatraz, to Gitmo. I mean, what kind of converse, what what asshole makes a comment like that who happens to also be the leading candidate for one of our two political parties? How does something like this even happen? Yeah, well, he, you know, he he saw there was uh, an opening uh, in 2015 for this kind of politics. And he's been my my take on it is he's been educating Americans. This is where the propagandist comes in. He's been educating them to see authoritarian rule and throwing people in prison with, you know, all of that as positive that it's necessary, violence is necessary sometimes to save the nation. And, you know, I was really, when I started researching how he was using his rallies to change the way people saw violence, he kept, you know, this is where he's a good propagandist. He throws out these things. It seems to be a joke, but it's not. And he said, the problem is, this is 2016, he said, nobody wants to hurt each other anymore. Or in the old days, you used to beat somebody up. And this was about protesters, right? And now he's, mm-hmm. so seven years later, he's talking about sending the military, you know, out to shoot protesters. But he's been trying to like emotionally retrain Americans so that they don't care about each other. They see him as the God and uh, they see that kind of rule as positive. And that's why he keeps holding up all these other authoritarians. He never compliments Democrats. You know, he doesn't compliment Macron. He compliments like, murderous North Korean dictators or Xi Jinping or Putin. And the, it's interesting, you know, he says he wants to stop the radical Or the left. very powerful, the, or the very powerful yeah. Viktor Orban. You all, you all know who Viktor Orban is? Viktor Orban, the head of, you know, the head of Turkey. And, and so you're like, wow. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so, geez, but it's over hungry. and over again. It's over and over, like hundreds of times in the last seven years. So that that drip, 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 Americans who uh, believe in him are have learned that this is a good kind of leadership. And so then, you know, lo and behold, it's the election year and he's now he comes out with it. He wants to be a dictator um, and he's prepared people to think dictators are OK. So it, it's happened like people were not noticing that it was happening. And, and this is unfortunately in history by the time. Many people, as you say, wake up and wash their eyes and ears, you know, clear their eyes and ears. It's sometimes too late. Okay. Except we see on television the various different individuals that have and continue to suffer as a result of authoritarians' abuse of power. Like, for example, Navalny, right? I mean, uh, who disappeared and then was now sent up to Siberia into a gulag because that's what Putin decided. You know, one of the things that Jose uh, in the Daily Beast article wrote, and it's just the panel, meaning this three-judge panel at the Second Circuit here, tacitly acknowledged that something unfair clearly happened. Well, no shit. I was lured down to 500 Pearl Street by Adam Pakula and Enid Phoebus, unconstitutionally remanded, spent another... So the judges noted how the then-president's arch-enemy, me, was thrown back in prison on flimsy reasoning. 
and how the case was only resolved through some extraordinary intervention by a judge who eventually ordered that Cohen should be released. Ironically, the judges ruled it was the very intervention that now prevents Cohen from holding Trump and certain government agents accountable, citing a 1971 Supreme Court case called Bivens versus six unknown named agents. And then here, while this relief may not have made Cohen whole, this is what they said. When alternative methods of release are available, a Bivens remedy usually is not. Can you imagine this? So what they're saying is that Donald can lock you up simply because he wants to, because he now knows that he has the ability to do so. And your only remedy, the only deterrence that now exists to stop him from doing that to you and to thousands of other people is by them filling out a writ of habeas corpus, filing it with the court, a federal court, citing Michael Cohen versus USA, Donald Trump, Bill Barr at all, and using that as the precedented case in order to be released. I spent 16 additional days, making it a total of 51 days in solitary confinement, locked away for 23 and a half hours a day in a busted up broken cell with no ventilation. And it was during the summer. And so the cell became in excess of 100 degrees with gnats coming in because the window was broken. It was missing a piece of glass. And they wouldn't even give me a piece of plastic and some scotch tape to seal it up. That's what you will be going through. That's what others will be going through. And this panel, despite the fact that they appear to all be Democrats, granted Trump the ability to do this. Because when he first did it to me, just like the January 6th insurrection, you know what those were? They were practice runs. Now he knows exactly what needs to be done in order to achieve what he wants. And that is to be able to, like this guy who threatened you um, from Trump's campaign, be careful what you do because there will be repercussions if and when Donald becomes president again. This is what they're going to do. It's exactly what they're going to do. Yeah, the learning, the learning is uh, very uh, important because, and this is part of what his campaign is releasing all these plans for, you know, 2025. And it's quite daunting how the Heritage Foundation, there's so many villains. It's truly, it reminds me of all the people on a much larger scale, all the people in Chile, uh, far right people, conservative media tycoons, who colluded for years before the coup happened, and the coup was, you know, U.S. backed. Uh, but sometimes people think, oh, the U.S. did the coup. It was Chileans who did the coup. Um, the U.S. gave a lot of help. But all these people colluded, planning and planning, and there was a failed coup, because uh, failed coups are ways that you learn, you know, what you got to do better next time. So this whole Trump 2025 mm-hmm. thing, there's 70 organizations under the umbrella of the Heritage Foundation, and they've all been studying what happened uh, under Trump 1.0 and what went wrong. Like, so they didn't get a total, uh, you know, a lot of people in civil service didn't want to obey Trump's illegal things, so they resigned or there was pushback. 
So this time, that's why they're trying to have a purge of like 50,000 people. So they get all these loyalists in there and they're being very open about it. And the same with January 6th, you know, it, it almost worked. It, it, it came way closer to working than most Americans know. But, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene is very open. She went to a, a, a gala, black tie, and she's in an elegant gown. And she starts boasting. Uh, it was a young Republicans club thing. And she said, if I mm -hmm. had planned the coup, it would have succeeded because there would have been more weapons there. So they're being very open about how they're learning from their uh, there, I wouldn't even call it failures. Just they didn't—they didn't achieve what they wanted to, and this time, they—they plan to. So we need to yeah, Americans need like a, to know that. Think of it like a football coach. Sometimes yes. the play just needs an adjustment, and that's what they—that's what they're doing. So let me ask you this then: Do you think that someone like Nikki Haley would be any better because she appears to be as far right as Trump? At this point in time, DeSantis, we already know, is a yeah. Donald Trump 2.0. Just yeah. like, you know, thank goodness Vivek Ramaswamy is not even going to be on the debate stage in Iowa. I mean, he's just such a he's just such a moron, you know, with the smiling and the cackling and the yelling. He's trying to be Donald, you know, 2.5, but we haven't even gotten to 2.0 yet. You know, but I see Nikki Haley. He's such a fool. Um, I see Nikki Haley and I see DeSantis as Donald 2.0s. What's your thought? Yeah, it's really, it's Nikki Haley's like a, a, a lesson, right? That this is somebody who took down the Confederate flag from the South Carolina Capitol in 2015. And now she's, you know, she stood on the, I will never forget this, Michael. It's like emblazoned in my brain, that debate. The first GOP debate when all of them but two sat there. These are people running for president against Trump. And they're so um, far into the cult. Afraid. They're so afraid that they humiliated themselves, took all their power away, mm -hmm. and raised their hands, all but two, and said they'd support him even if he becomes a convicted felon. And she was one of those. And this just like shows you that it, there's a in, in my uh, line of uh, study, we call this autocratic capture when the leader captures. And this is like the guy hasn't even been in power for two years, which makes it all the more pathetic. He wasn't even there to look at them and threaten them in person. And they still raise their hands. So she's she's you know, uh, there's no hope for her. Um, she's willing to in the new Trump era. You do what you need to do to prevail, and you don't care about morals or ethics, and that's what she's become, it seems. Well, a lot of this really has to do with their need and their desire to retain their title and their power. That's why you start seeing folks like a Ted Cruz, um, those that chose not to that were willing to put American democracy, put the Constitution and their constituents and all of America ahead of their own self-interest. People like Adam Kinzinger, people like Mitt Romney, people like uh, Liz Cheney. Look what happened to them. They got pushed out, right? Yeah. I mean, because they went against the Fuhrer and as a direct result, they lost their seats. They're really the true heroes of the Republican Party. But yeah. the problem is, you know, heroes that lose are very soon forgotten. And all you get left is with 
the Ramaswamis, the Boberts, the Marjorie Toilet Greens, right? The Josh Hawleys, the Matt Gateses. That's what you get left with. You get left with, you know, they, look, I have issues on both sides with the extremists. You know, the far, far right and the far left of the Democratic Party. And here's something that so many people don't know. I've been a Democrat my entire life. My entire life, I've been a registered Democrat. And yet, you know, people always like, well, you know, you only attack Republicans. Um, You never attack Democrats. That's not really true. There's a series of folks in the Democratic Party who I think are too extreme, and I would like to see them out. I believe in moderates. I believe that to be slightly left of center or slightly right of center is where we used to be as a country when like Tip O'Neill, right, would be able to have an argument with you on the floor. And then after, you know, after hours, the two of you would go meet for a drink and hash shit out because there was enough there for the two to come up with some sort of an agreement that is not a win for one side not a loss for the other, and that's how negotiation works. That's why things were getting done. Right now, it's a winner-take-all and a loser-get-nothing scenario. And under that specific you know, um, set of ideas, government cannot function. Yeah, no, what, what you described is actually you know, democracy, right? And we, we are very challenged versus other countries that got into this similar situation uh, because we're only got the two parties because uh, in other places if there's somebody who uh, captures one big party and is too extreme there's a choice of other parties to go to or the other parties this happened in italy there's this total thug uh salvini uh far-right guy really extreme in 2019 it looked like he might become the uh, you know prime minister, very dangerous guy, very violent. So all the other parties, even parties that didn't like uh, each other, they, they got together and they prevented him from coming to power. We can't do that because we only have these two parties. And one of our two parties is now, I, I see it as an autocratic party. Unfortunately, the GOP, it ticks every single box for an authoritarian party now, including that it's, you know, enthralled to this yeah. violent cult leader. And if, it, if the GOP had a foreign policy, it would be a foreign policy of an autocracy, not a democracy. Uh, think about, you know, you what know, they're doing what, with Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I want to just go back to something we talked about and bring in, for example, the Heritage Foundation and others just like them. They're actually gearing up for a potential Trump victory. In 2024. And supposedly, they have created a day one agenda for the Trump administration to follow. I mean, could you imagine this? The Heritage Foundation. And if you don't know how crazy that these folks are, just take a look to see what happened to Roe versus Wade. They have a day one agenda that they want the Trump administration to follow. How does a Trump dictatorship help these sorts of conservative entities? And more importantly, who actually benefits from it? Yeah, it's a good question um, because I don't, I don't think any of these 
people, I wouldn't even call them conservatives because conservatives don't enable or support coups. Uh, once you've had a violent coup attempt, that's not what cons old time conservatives do. These people are extremists and they see that this is their hour. Finally, they're close to getting the kind of power where they can, you know, strip government, they can stop public spending, they can, and who benefits are all the very wealthy people, the billionaires, the Kochs. Because an interesting thing about authoritarianism is we, we associate it with more controls on people. And, and that's certainly part of it. All the arrests you're talking about, right? Rounding people up, not caring about rule of law. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole other part of authoritarianism, which is, so some people have more controls on them and are, they have to shut up. Other people have fewer limits on their activities, and that's rolling back regulations. And Trump already did this the first time. in the Just in the area of like food safety and in the environment, he rolled back over 100 regulations, making it easier yep. for, for the environment to be plundered, our food supply, um, big agriculture, big all the bigs. They loved this. And these are also libertarian people, neoliberal people, all of these forces who who want fewer regulations he also in this escape people forget this he partly de decriminalized domestic violence so there too you know you can plunder bodies you can plunder the environment that's part of authoritarianism that we don't hear about enough so those are all the people so, you know, who would benefit yeah so you know the funny thing is these folks these mega billionaires and all they all think that they're going to benefit under another Trump administration, as they did the first time, whether it was the theft of PPP money, whether it was the rolling back of these regulations that basically saved them a lot of money in terms of compliance. Not this time. Not this time. You see, I believe that the New York Attorney General case is going to financially slap Donald literally to the ground. Um, I believe that the amount is going to be significantly more than the $250 million baseline that Tish James was calling for. And what's, what is Donald, in essence? He's a copycat. Yeah. What's he going to do? I believe he's going to copy exactly what Mohammed bin Salman did on day number one when he entered as um, deputy crown prince right, when he became the, the crown prince, he's going to start rounding them up, the Kochs, the Zuckerbergs, the Elon Musks, uh, you know, the Jeff Bezoses of the world. He will round them up and he will put them on the floor at Mar-a-Lardo, just like Mohammed bin Salman did at the Ritz, and he will have them sign over their wealth to him. And people could roll their eyes and say, it's not possible. You know what else is not possible? Having somebody thrown into prison because you don't like what they're going to say about you. He knows what yeah. he can get away with. He knows as he knows on day number one, if he rewrites the Constitution, as he said he will. He also said he's going to strip the judiciary and the legislative branch of their co-equal powers yeah. under the tripartite system and confer all power onto the executive branch, meaning to him. He yeah. becomes the king. And if the king turns around and says, I'm taking your money, 
you could either give sign it over willingly and I'll let you keep a billion or I take it all and put you on the street, including your houses, your cars, your planes. And you know why he'll do it? Because he can. And that's what this is all about. Not doing shit for America, making America great again. This is all about making Donald rich again. Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure you would do it right away. But one thing I've tried to do in my newsletter, uh, the Substack newsletter, Lucid, and it's interesting, like, I started it two and a half years ago, and the first article I wrote was about how authoritarians like Putin plunder business. Because this is something Americans are not, they're not understanding that, that when you, and Erdogan plundered uh, over $32 mm-hmm. billion. Dollars. And everyone's like, oh, Erdogan is a strong ruler. So I think that we need to really reach out to the business community way more than we've been doing. We just, Amer- mm-hmm. people who care about democracy and help them understand that almost everywhere authoritarians go, they start to plunder business. Look what DeSantis did in Florida. Who goes after like the Special Olympics and Disney? It's so stupid. But they're, yeah, well, they're, they're driven, in his case, DeSantis driven by ideologies, a fanatic. Trump, I agree. He just needs to get he needs to get his money back, right? He needs to get rich. Oh, it's um, going to be more than his money. He he wants to be, and he will become, if reelected, the first trillionaire. He will also have the full power of the military. Remember, yeah, there's another thing problem. that he said. He is going to have every single person that he brings as part of the transition yeah. team to government sign a loyalty pledge to him. So yeah. you tell the head of the army, well, you know, Ruth is, um, you know, is worth a billion dollars. I want that billion. Go to her house, grab her, bag her, tag her, and bring her to Mar-a-Lago. You think they're going to say no? I don't. Yeah, that that's another, that is uh, the, what the military does. Um, uh, having strongmen is a third, a third of it is military coups. So the theme of authoritarians in the military mm-hmm. is, is everywhere in the book. But I'm really uh, worried about that because we have one of the largest militaries in the world. We're a superpower, we're a nuclear power. And the consequences of, of uh, having like a counter-revolution where you turn the military on the people I mean, he, he tested that out, too, as you know, in Lafayette's after, you know, in 2020. That's right. Uh, and it backfired because General uh, Millet uh, and others who we don't hear about as much, um, you know, are, are not uh, pro-authoritarian. So there, too, he's trying to plan ahead with the help of uh, Michael Flynn, who's trying his best to radicalize mm-hmm. the military. It's really I'm very worried about that. If you ask me, what are the yeah, and- what are the top three? things that's one of them Mm -hmm. so let me ask you this then is it safe to say that because the republican party has been aligned with trump and the big lie for so long that they are they're no longer in support of the constitution and our democracy is that a fair thing to say unfortunately yeah they 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 have exited democracy they and if and when they talk about the Constitution, there's a whole bunch of people who talk about the Constitution, including these like 
fraudulent constitutional sheriffs, but they're they're yeah. trying to have the constitution they have in mind is not uh, a constitution that protects democracy and civil rights and freedoms. It's a constitution that is warped to uh, help people like Trump um, and and become lawless. So, yeah, we just we have to. We have to get uh, Americans to understand that the Republican Party, it, the official, you know, the, all the people in who are there in Congress, et cetera, they they have exited democracy. They are for autocracy. Yeah. It's very scary. You, know, Luke, you may have heard me say it's very scary and people better open their ears. And that's why I constantly say when it comes to this show and to others, subscribe, listen, rate and share with your friends so that they they hear from people who actually know what's really going on. But Ruth, you may have heard me say this several times. If you have a strong America, you have a strong world. If you have a weak America, you will have a weak world. So if countries are made essentially weaker by the chaos of authoritarian rule, mm-hmm. Why would Republican voters embrace it? I, I scratch my head whenever I, whenever I think about that as a question. Why? Why in the world would Republican voters embrace this? It's because I think they have been brainwashed by Fox. They have been brainwashed by Trump and all of his mini Trumps in Congress. You know, there's a party line. There's been a party line for a very long time. And that's very effective when everybody has to say the same thing as happened after January 6th. And they've been so effective that now, you know, there's because the anniversary is coming up, there's there's news articles and polls. You know, the majority of Republicans don't really think that much happened on January 6th. They just won't. It, they, Fox and all of the political allies have been successful in changing the whole narrative of January 6th. So it's the same you know, they see Trump as uh, they believe it when and, and Fox always has like um, uh, cities or anarchy and, and crime and and they they're creating a fake world over and over again for years. And so people see this and they think, oh, I alone can fix it. You know, we need the strong men to fix it. And they truly believe this. And that's what's so scary. We have to get we have to reach those people and it's really at a point where you kind of have to deprogram them. Um, and and that's, that's, that's difficult. I mean, the funny thing is people are talking about Donald like he's um, Robin Hood, right? He's robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. He's trying to equalize society yeah, so sad. that everybody would have food and money and shelter and so on. It's the exact opposite. He's no, robbing funny. from the poor. He's grifting yeah. off the poor to feed his own pocket. Yeah, that's one of the saddest things. And in the conclusion to my book, I write that the, the saddest thing is that the people put their trust in these guys and they believe <sighs> them. Like Trump tells people he loves them. And he's using them, of course. He doesn't love them. He despises them. But they only when it's too late, when the country is ruined, do they realize that he, they were conned, that he's a con artist. They're all con artists. And, and that's the saddest thing of all. I, I don't have that much sympathy for these people, but 
from a human point of view, they they put their trust in him and they don't realize that he's going to ruin everything that they loved about the country, that he profoundly hates America. He only loves himself. Uh, he's only out for himself, um, and like all of them are. Wait, wait, so, so, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because you use the word that he's conning them, right? And then I want to use that word and tie it into, obviously, January 6th. Because any sane person realizes that January 6th was a violent insurrection that has resulted in sending hundreds of people to jail, including some as long as, what, 18, 18 18-year prison sentences? Yeah. Ruth, what will stop the MAGAs from doing something like this again in the future, especially when you have guys like Stuart Rhodes who's calling Donald a con, who's saying, I was only there because Donald told us to go. So what needs to be done? What more needs to be done to stop these maggots from doing something like a January 6th insurrection, the violent insurrection again? I mean, more more Republicans, the, the problem is that, you know, Donald acts like a mob boss and he threatens people. And the fact that I'm, I'm very, uh, since the time of his impeachments, when, you know, we would read that, uh, you know, senators, like the most powerful people in the country with access to all kinds of security, uh, were crying. They were crying. They were afraid, you know, and this was just the beginning of the threats uh, where this congressman, uh, uh, Meyer from uh, Minnesota, I believe, he said, he said, I'm buying body armor because he was a Republican who voted uh, to impeach Trump the second time. And he said, our mm-hmm. expect, I put this quote in my book, our expectation is that someone's going to try and kill us. And I was like, okay, are we in like, you know, some kind of civil war junta land? Or this is not yes. in America. So that's like a shift in perception. So that was, ni- that was 2021. And, and now the level of threat to anyone who stands up to him is, is you know, it's 400%. I think uh, threats against members of Congress are up 400%. So Fuck them. I'm, I'm, up, I'm up 2,000%. But we need, you know, I, think I we mean, need to, anytime my I name know. comes up in the press... All of a sudden, here it comes again. I know. At least they have they have DC police. They have you know That's they, it. Have, they um, have they have access to. But but I think that um, the burden shouldn't be on Democrats to have to deal with this. But Republicans, even those who who know secretly that Trump is a nightmare, uh, it's very very sad that they won't speak out. The worst is is Mike Pence. I mean, the guy was targeted for death by his own, yeah. you know, and he sat there and raised his hand and said, yes, I will vote for him. I mean, at that point, how do you, you know, what do you do about these people? You but, know, well, he thinks that Donald will spare his life because so he deluded. said that. You know, if Donald wins the election, let me be very clear. Mike <laughs> Pence, gonzo. General Mark Milley, gonzo. And half a dozen other people, right off the, right off the rip, Gonzo, because Trump will attempt to use and will use powers that do not exist in order to effectuate this end result. Yeah, the difference is Milley, as a military man, 
he he said publicly that he knows that he'll be on a list. Uh, Pence uh, puts up the facade, um, even as you know he's made some television uh, appearances with his cane, and uh, he he clearly has uh, you know um, body armor underneath his his shirts. I just I notice all these things, you know, living in the heads of these dictators and 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 writing for years about what happens to societies, how they, they just transform everything into the gutter and everybody into violent thugs. And it's very sad for me to, to watch this happening and, and watch the cowardice of so many people. To go back to your question, what do we do? It's just, you know, until the, until the Republicans speak out and it would have been so easy, you know, the, the off ramp of the Trump highway to yep. hell was January 7th. And, Mike Pence and, and Mitch McConnell, a couple of them, especially Pence, just could have taken things in a different direction by banding together. That's what you need. You have yep. to have unity against the autocrat. And uh, the fact nope. they didn't do it is, is uh, really, it's very sad because that, that would have finished him off, actually, politically. Absolutely. So, Ruth, how important do you think it is that the insurrectionists who still remain in Congress be held accountable for their roles in January 6th. This is something that really pisses me the fuck off. I mean, when I tell you I get pissed from it, I mean, I've had members of Congress and I've had conversations with them about it. We know that there are insurrectionists that are members of Congress. How did these people manage to get in the day or two before and map out exactly where they were going? Not one member of Congress has been held accountable. It reminds me so much of like the um, the mortgage debacle that a trillion dollars was lost and not one person was held accountable. How likely are any of these folks? How likely are any of them to face any type of consequence? Well, since we're three years into this. um, And nothing has happened, even as the Mark Meadows and all those other people uh, were indicted as co-conspirators. That was very, very, very important um, because it's not enough to have the foot soldiers going to prison. And they're now, I checked the other day, it's over 1,200 people have been arrested. And those were the foot soldiers. But um, those, those foot soldiers who are sitting in prison or home arrest, whatever, they don't see the big people paying a price. Um, and many of them know very well that these members of Congress and they, they have their networks um, and they don't see any justice being done. Now, logically, that should turn them against the whole enterprise. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's very important to have uh, the big fish and to clean Congress of these people until we clean Congress of these insurrectionists who are out to destroy democracy. They literally supported an attempt to overthrow the government. Uh, really, I can hardly think of any other country in the world that would still have all these people there. Um, other places, you know, you, you, you go to prison or you're forced into exile immediately, especially places like Brazil that had coups and then had dictatorships. And, and they responded in a very different way when Bolsonaro had his January 8th. They immediately cracked down on these people. Because they know where the stakes are. I'm just here. Here we yeah, are. Yeah, well, I'll tell you. Here, I, and nothing yeah. has happened to these people. You know, and I'll tell you, my biggest fear 
is that assuming Trump retakes the White House and everything that we're predicting comes to you know, fruition, it becomes a reality that he rewrites the Constitution, confers all power to himself, starts going after people like Mike Pence, like Mark Milley, like the president's CEO of uh, MSNBC, you know, a bunch of, you know, people who have caused him issues, myself, I'm sure, included. Um, he starts going after each and every, and then all of a sudden, you have another civil war. You know, there's what? A billion fucking guns in people's homes today. It's not as if, you know, the military, the only ones with these high powered, you know, rifles and so on. I mean, everybody today, you know, is walking around, at least in certain parts of this country with AR-15s, AK-47. I mean, yeah, this is this is no joke. This is going to be a fucking bloodbath worse than the Civil War. And that's the part that scares me. But it kind of brought it, it, it was in my, it's on my mind when I've heard you say that 70% of the world's population is under dictatorial rule. I didn't know that until I heard you say it. And that democracy has been declining. But at the same time, people are protesting yes. in very dangerous places like China, right? Yes. And Russia. So are the people, because that goes right to what I was saying, once you lose it, and you've yeah. tasted it, as we have, you want it back. So are yeah. the people living in those oppressed places waking up to the benefits of democracy? And is this going to be what's necessary in order for Americans that are fucking delusional and listening to Trump's horse shit that this is what's going to be needed? Well, uh, it could be. Um, but, you know, I'm glad you mentioned all this because, yes, authoritarianism is spreading. Um, but we've also, it's also being contested in a new way. And we just don't hear enough about this story where it's a huge deal that in Iran, there were those protests mm -hmm. that went on for months, these yep. brave women, and there were men out there as their allies. Huge deal in China. That's covered up because Chinese don't want us to talk about it. Do you know that these were the lockdown protests. 79, 79 universities had protests in China, including uh, the kind of elite university that uh, Xi Jinping went to, 79. So there are things that are brewing um, and I, I'm tracking these things. And so there's like 10 or 12 countries that in the last years have had either the biggest protests in their entire history or the biggest in decades, and that includes Poland. They succeeded in turning back autocracy, and they had the biggest protests and the biggest voter turnout since 1989. Now, we're actually in this, too, because the Women's March, and nobody like talks about it anymore, it, in 2017, which was anti-Trump, it was the biggest protest in American history, only to be surpassed by Black Lives Matter in 2020. Do you know that 20 million people went to some kind of Black Lives Matter event, 99% mm -hmm. peaceful, multi-generational. There were grandmas there, there were babies, multiracial. Um, so this was like an authentic uh, cross-American movement. So we, we have that energy and I think that it can come back again. Uh, and, and we're part of this global 
desire for freedom. So the re- can I jump in for one yeah, second and just because you said that there are seventy nine um, universities in China that that had um, protests that had protests. You know, do you know how many colleges and universities exist in China? Three thousand and twelve. Three thousand and twelve. Now, yes, I acknowledge what you're saying that there is obviously. You know, it's not one, it's not two, it's 79. But when you put that into perspective, Xi Jinping will shut that shit right down. He has no interest in losing his power. And that goes right back into what I was saying, which is this is going to be a fight like this country has never seen before. It's going to make the Civil War look like a minor incursion because after you start taking away people's rights, you're going to start seeing these whole groups start forming little militia and attacking other Americans who are, it's going to be a bloodbath. Let me put it to you this way. And it's very scary, especially considering Trump doesn't care, as you said, and I've said many, many times, he doesn't care about anyone or anything other than himself. Your life, my life, the average Joe's life doesn't mean anything to him. And so it's easy for him to have somebody like General Mike Flynn give the order. Anybody in the street, with or without a weapon, makes no difference. Gun him down. Something that you would see from a Kim Jong-un, a Xi Jinping, a, you know, an Orban. That's what you're going to see here. Well, all the, all the more reason uh, we have to do everything possible to avoid this fate. And um, I, I think that um, I'm hoping that we can build a pro-democracy coalition and get people registered to vote in numbers that will allow us to keep our democracy, but we've got to keep sounding the alarm and, and getting uh, and being able to reach constituencies that need to hear us. Um, not So what happens then? So Ruth, what happens then when all of a sudden, you know, you, you know, you're telling people to vote and everybody does vote and let's, God willing, it's a massive blue tidal wave. Trump's going to come right back out. And he's going to regurgitate what he's been doing the last three and a half years, which is, it's a big lie. They stole the election from us again. And there's still going to be civil unrest. Now, not like the kind that will exist if he gets into power, then that's a whole nother level. But he will still, as I said, what, four years ago when I testified before the House Oversight Committee, that if Donald Trump loses, yeah. there will never be a peaceful transfer of yeah, power. Yeah, you did, you did. And I'm saying it again. If Trump loses again, he will literally, right after they call it, he will start, which he's already started doing, yeah. turn around and say, they're already out there figuring out how to steal the election from us. They are, and he will. I, I agree. But um, that, I think that... Um, if there's a massive, you know, democratic victory, I think some people are going to 
uh, realize maybe they believed him the first time, but uh, now as he's doing it again, um, you know, it's, it's hard to know, but what, what would happen, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't, the fact that we know what he's going to do shouldn't lead us to think it's hopeless. Indeed, we should try all the harder because at the end of this, Mm -hmm. I think from reading memoirs of people who had, who went through this in different countries, you, you want to have done everything possible to not give in to some idea that, oh, it's going to be violent, so I shouldn't try. Uh, yeah. That's that's the message. It, it, you want to be, you, know you can did I, what was possible. Sure. You know, but since we're talking about strong men, you know, you've said that Benjamin Netanyahu meets all the criteria for being considered a strong man. Well, strong men, as you stated, destabilize nations and they weaken the country's defenses. Mm-hmm. Now, considering Netanyahu's track record and the majority of Israelis who have protested his rule, mm-hmm. why can't the people get rid of him? He is just another example of why Donald Trump mm-hmm. is doing and saying the things that he's saying. And then there's a second part to this question, because too many folks don't seem to understand that many of us who support Israel, as I do, and I believe you do as well, I support Israel, but I don't support Netanyahu, and I certainly don't support his cronies. So why can't they understand that those two things, they can, they can be true simultaneously. They can exist, but simultaneously. Yeah. Why have things so? Tell me if you would. Why have things become so black and white on both of these questions? It's just that people don't like to have their perceptions changed, and I believe that you know U.S. policy will need to be adjusted because Netanyahu is not. He's an autocrat. He's qualitatively different than other people who have been in power, and so he's he's the playbook where you got to get back into power to shut everything down. So he tried judicial reform. And it's quite extraordinary. I wrote about the protests both for uh, my, mm-hmm. my newsletter and for Haaretz because they checked all the boxes for successful protests because they not only uh, kept going and going and they were giant and they kept growing, but you had what's called the pillars of society. You had CEOs. You had even the head of Mossad was allowing his people to have the time off to go protest. That's like that's incredible in a security state like Israel. So, and now uh, I think the latest poll is, you know, 70% of Israelis want Netanyahu out. And I think it's 30 or 40% want him out now, even though there's the war going on because he's incompetent (laughs) and he's interested only in Netanyahu. And I think there's finally more awareness that these extremist settlers and Ben Gavir, who's convicted for terrorism, uh, are not serving Israel at all. They're they're not for peace. They're for they're for a kind of uh, you know imperial annexations. They're for violence. Uh, ben Gavir is handing out thousands of rifles. These this is not uh, the way you you you. This is not statesmanlike activity. This is thug activity. And so um, we we need to revise our perceptions. And some people. It's this, they don't want to do that, and this is a situation of emergency, but it's a little bit the same problem where people thought that the GOP, were, they were conservatives, 
And I'm up there saying, you know, day after day, they're not conservatives anymore. They supported a coup. You've got to change your, your thinking. And it's just some people don't want to do that. It's very frustrating. Yeah. So, you know, Ruth, the hour goes by very quickly here on Mea Culpa. Very, and I can sit and talk to you for another 10 hours. But my final question to you is what message should the Democrats be sending to the young voters, to the Hispanic voters, to the black voters to get them involved in reelecting President Biden and Vice President Harris? Because I'll be honest with you. You're not seeing, at least I'm not seeing, that people are being very supportive of this administration despite all of the things that have been accomplished, despite all of the metrics that show that we are doing very well as a country. Forget about comparing it to other countries. We're killing it. But that message is just not being resonated. What do we need to do? I mean, uh, the Democrats need way better messaging. Um, And I think we also need a pro-democracy movement that's about uh, not just anti-Trump, but it's about ideals of what America can be, uh, positive content. Um, I think also uh, whatever they're doing is because they're up against Fox, you know, continuously saying your economy's bad, everything's bad. So they've got to readjust their messaging. Um, I also think that they need to use uh, young activists in a much savvier way to, re- to mm-hmm. reach other young activists and reach young voters. For example, they're still calling people, like people who are in their 20s or less, they, they don't call, they text. They don't even have phones. Yeah, so they've got a... Other than their cell phones, they, no, nobody has a house Nobody phone answers their phone. Right. So they've got to uh, update and uh, redefine their messaging, uh, and they've got to do it fast. Well, Ruth, thank you so much for joining me. Really great to see you. And um, definitely going to have to please ask you to come back soon because there's just so much more for us to be discussing. Thank you. And now for today's Maya Culpa. Can you hear the cheering? I mean, Sean Hannity has left New York City and is relocating to the strangest state in the union. And if you guess Florida, well, yeah, you're correct. Hannity has graced New York with his departure. And you know what? Good fucking riddance. But sadly, the beautiful state of Florida has become home to fruitcakes and to fascists. From the Proud Boys who've taken over the Republican Party in Miami-Dade to sex trafficker Congressman Matt Gates of the 1st District, Florida has a problem it won't easily get rid of. Bit of pot calling the kettle black, Gates called on the Florida GOP chairman, Christian Ziegler, to step down after being accused of rape. But in Florida, apparently, it's not the crime, but if you get caught and then convicted, and finally incarcerated. Otherwise, no harm, no foul. You can stay in office until you leave of your own accord, or somebody finally shoots you. Paulina Luna, the freshman house representative from Florida's 13th district, still wears an AR-15 pin on her lapel where the flag ought to be. She's also demanding that the federal government hand over all classified documents pertaining to UFO sightings. 
telling the Tampa Bay Times, and I quote, it has become very clear and evident that there is an apparent attempt, an orchestrated attempt, to deny us this access. In my opinion, Luna, or we should really call her Lunatic, has entered the fucking Twilight Zone. And then there's Florida Governor Ron Meatball DeSantis. I mean, he got on the debate stage earlier this week to make a fucking asshole out of himself. He and Nikki Haley treated their audience to a whole lot of fucking nothing. Because the debate between the two of them, well, it's fucking pointless. Especially since neither will attack the only opponent that matters. And that's Trump. Now don't get me wrong, I'm glad that they are debating. It makes it look like there is at least some semblance of normalcy going on in the Republican primary. Even though we all know that this is no normal election year, and this is no normal primary, without the frontrunner, the debate, well, it's just another exercise in futility. A hollow end to a race that never really got started. I predict that Trump will continue to be the winningest loser in Republican land. And certainly, he's the biggest loser in Florida. At least now that Jeffrey Epstein is presumed dead, I mean, what happened to the formerly purple battleground state? How did the likes of Epstein and Trump find safe haven in Palm Beach? Florida became the center of the Republican universe for several reasons. The elderly for one the gun nuts and southern aristocracy for another. Also, the Cuban-Americans who fled communism landed on Florida's shores and quickly took up the conservatives supposedly fighting communism. I mean, some call them boat people or illegal immigrants, but their money, well, that bought them a seat in the Republican table. A growing share of Hispanic voters whose political and cultural views helped Republicans flip traditionally blue Miami-Dade County in 2022. They hope to bring about a broader red wave in 2024. The last Democratic presidential candidate who won Florida, well, that was former President Barack Obama due to a strong black turnout and Hispanic support. But those days are over. Republicans control every partisan statewide office. The last time the state had a Democratic governor was in 1990s. And now, bans have replaced libraries and the biggest voting bloc in the state are white men without a college education. Can you believe that shit? But I still love Florida. I mean, we can't cut off our noses to spite our face. We can't give up on states that have gone to the deep red side. In fact, they need us now more than ever. We need to ensure that our voices are heard in Florida and in other red states that were basically purple or were blue in the past. Because that's the way that we're going to win again in 2024. And as always, my friends, thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is written by Paula Killen. Our managing producer and editor is Lisa Orkin. Maya Culpa is a Midas Touch podcast, executive produced by the Midas Touch Network and LSJ Media Group. Oh.